Good morning, everybody. Good to be here with y'all. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Glad to see you all. Uh, we all have dreams of success, right? Dreams of success starting from a very young age. Even little children dream of succeeding at being an astronaut or a pirate or a dinosaur, whatever it is when they want to be when they grow up. But it never really leaves, right? Um, for me, this was strange. As a kid, I dreamed of being a successful video game teacher, which isn't a thing and um, wasn't then and still isn't. But that's okay. I um, found some other places to pour my, uh, my effort into, and, but, but we always still have these dreams of success, right? We always want to be successful at something. We want to be really successful at something, and, and you know, some of those, those main things that, that most people have a desire to be successful would be, you know, having a successful career, uh, being successful at making a lot of money, being successful at having some degree of security in your life, maybe successfully finding someone to uh, love and spend your life with, being successful at uh, a lot of people want, you know, success in, in the form of a lot of people uh, knowing them, being famous, having a lot of uh, uh, people acknowledging you. Um, there's all sorts of different ways of success that we reach out for success. But sometimes our pursuit of success can be dangerous. Uh, Johnny Cash was someone who dreamed from a very sm as a very small child listening to his gramophone, people singing on the radio, uh, he, that he, wanted to, he too wanted to be someone who would grow up to sing on the radio. And as he grew up, he practiced playing guitar and singing, and he would not take no for an answer. He knocked on all sorts of doors, asking people to record him, asking people to get him on the radio, and he just heard no after no after no after no, but that would not stop him, he would keep asking the same people over and over and over again for a chance to get into the spotlight until finally when he was uh, 23, he was able to achieve that dream and he got on the radio and a lot of people heard his music and not only did they hear his music, they loved his music and they wanted to hear it more than just on the radio. So people came out to see Johnny play and people in places that were very far away from where Johnny was wanted to hear him play. So he began touring, he started a family, he got a wife, he had three kids, and he was just, uh, he was killing it. He was, his record sales were great, and he was getting bigger and bigger audiences coming to see him, and life was going uh, awesomely. He had the success that he was looking for. In fact, he had way higher than the success he was looking for. He just wanted to be on the radio, but everybody all over the place wanted to hear him, so he was traveling all over the place. But the success that he desired required more of him than he thought, than he knew he would, uh, than more than he knew would require of him. So he uh, in order to stay awake on these long, long car drives, in order to have the energy to play these shows after, night after night after night, he started to use amphetamines to be able to keep the pace up. And man, they made him feel invincible. He was, had so much energy when he, when he went on stage, he could drive for long hours at night. The problem, of course, was, um, well, one of the problems, as we'll see, there was plenty of them. One of them was that he could not fall asleep. So in order to fall asleep at night, to balance out the amphetamines, he started taking barbiturates to be able to get the rest that he needed. And sometimes his nerves were so high in the day, uh, he, he would have to take more barbiturates during the daytime. And so he was constantly making this balance of a huge amount of, huge amount of amphetamines and barbiturates and drinking a case of beer a day. And of course, you know, this was... Um, not great for his, his personal life, for what he was like internally. And of course, being on the road and the drugs were affecting his home life. He was always choosing the success of his career over the success of his family. And so uh, he, he was not there for the kids, uh, of, uh, the, the kids' events, the kids' uh, proms, the kids' 
graduations and ceremonies and birthdays. He, he was just choosing the road. And his wife said, these pills are going to destroy both of us. And sure enough, they did. The, the marriage ended, and she no longer allowed him to see his kids anymore. And things got so bad for him, after he attained all the success, after he got everything he wanted, things got so bad for him that... He just went, he was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He found a cave, brought his flashlight, walked as, as far into the cave as he could until his flashlight died. He lied down on the ground, said his goodbye prayers, and waited to die. So that's what all of his dreams and success got him. And it's strange sometimes the things that, that we desire. We hear stories like this, and we know of stories like this, and we see people who, who get their dreams achieved, and many times those sorts of people don't seem much happier than the rest of us. Why do we feel this intense desire for fame, for more clicks, for more views, for more affirmation, for more acknowledgement? Why do we feel this drive to have more money when no matter how much money you get pretty much everybody always wants a little bit more why do we have uh this this incredible desire for achievements for trophies and rewards and people saying how great you are and trying to get the highest number of people to like you as possible when we see for the people who 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 really achieve that at the highest level oftentimes Maybe even usually, it can be quite poisonous. It can be quite toxic. Why are we seeking for success when many times it does not give us what we really want from it, what we really hope for? Why are we pursuing this, these things that can cause you to end up lying down in a cave waiting for yourself to die? Well, there was a guy in the Bible who had some dreams growing up, and he achieved those dreams. He achieved probably more than uh, many other people hoped to achieve in his time and culture, and yet he ended up having the same sort of perspective on what he had achieved that Johnny Cash did. And uh, this guy is a man named Paul. He was, an, he was a church planner. He was a missionary. He would go and start churches and teach people about Jesus and write letters to these churches he had started. And one of these letters is called Philippians. And in this book, he talks to them about the, the most important things in his life, the most important things about him and his achievements, which to us in our modern day sound kind of strange. Like, I don't know why you would be bragging about that. But in his uh, time and culture, these were things that were desirable. And as you can imagine, maybe 2,000 years from now in a different part of uh, the world, people would be wondering why you're pursuing success at the things that you're pursuing. They might seem kind of strange to the people who hear what you're doing. But we're going to see what Paul says are the things that were most important to him. He says to the Philippians, if, if someone thinks he has good reason to, to put confidence in human credential, I have more. I've, I've achieved it all. I've got what everyone in our time and culture thinks is, is so important. I've got, I've got it all. And now the first thing that he puts on this list of credentials, this list of things that he uh, would normally uh, brag about if, if he still thought these things were great, it's, it's not only something that you just would not tell anybody today, it's, uh, it's something that you would never put on a resume or, or anything like that. It's just something you don't talk about. It's definitely not something you brag about. So what is the first thing that tops Paul's list? What's the first thing he brags about? He says, I was circumcised. 
Imagine reading that at the top of someone's resume. That would be alarming. We would quickly not hire that person and tell all the other HR people at other places to not hire that person. But this was a different time and a different culture. So the point he's getting at here, uh, you know, why why was he saying this, that he was circumcised on the eighth day? Well, he was... um, you know, from in Jewish tradition, that's what you do with your children on the eighth day. And the point is he, that he's making is that his parents were Jews, which means he was not a convert to Judaism. He was born into this nation of Israel that God chose to be a blessing to the rest of the world. It wasn't just only him choosing to follow God, choosing to follow God's plan for this nation. It was in his blood. It was in his DNA. He didn't come from somewhere else and join this. He had the bloodline, and this was important to him and to many of the people uh, in that culture. So he also says that he was from the people of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the nation of Israel is made up of 12 different tribes, and the tribe of Benjamin was the one Paul was a part of. Now, the tribe of Benjamin, when Israel first had kings, they didn't always have kings. They followed God for a while, and they said, "Now nah, we're tired of doing that. Just give us a king. And God was like, all right, you're going to regret it. But they're like, nah, nah, we're smart. Just give us a king. They gave, gave him a king. It didn't go so well. But the very first king of all those kings was a king named Saul, and he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And in fact, Paul... Uh, changed his name to Paul once he became a Christian, but originally his birth name was Saul. So he was named after this King Saul, and uh, the tribe of Benjamin was always faithful and loyal to this this, um, line of kings that started with Saul. So this was a source of pride for them. Also, um, Israel was divided um, into two parts. There was the northern part of the nation and the southern part of the nation. There were ten tribes part of the northern and two tribes part of the southern. And in the southern, the two tribes were Judah and Benjamin, the one that Paul's a part of. Now, the northern kingdom did not pay any attention to what God taught them about not uh, marrying people from um, different nations, because God was saying, if you do that, you're going to start worshiping their idols, and you're going to start believing in these false gods. And you're going to turn your back on me and but the northern kingdom they were okay with that They did that the southern kingdom said no We're going to follow god's rules on this so that once again that was a source of source source of pride for them They were uh, they they prided themselves on following God on staying loyal to him on staying faithful to him So this was important to paul to be a part of the nation of benjamin So he continues, he says, here's another thing that was um, important. I I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, this doesn't mean like, I'm like, I'm a Hebrew's Hebrew. I'm an exemplary Hebrew or something like that. He just means that he is a Hebrew of his parents who were Hebrews. So he, once again, he's um, pointing to the importance of being, you know, part of that nation of Israel by blood. It's in his DNA. He was raised with the culture, the language, the religion. And even though he was, even though... Um, Israel at his time was occupied by a pagan nation, Rome, he stayed faithful to his bloodline, to his tradition. He was not swayed. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And then next he says, I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. Now, maybe that doesn't seem much today, but that would be a really, really difficult, tough thing to do. Uh, Pharisees were one of the most impactful, not only religious groups of um, Paul's time, of of the Jews, but also one of the most impactful political groups uh, of their time as well, of their time and culture. And so he not only had political and religious influence, 
he, he had kind of the clout. He kind of, kind of had that, uh, uh, I don't know, he was viewed as someone with power and someone with authority and someone who was uh, important because of that. And uh, the first century uh, Roman Jewish historian named Flavius Josephus wrote about the Pharisees saying that they were known among the Jews as going, taking like painstaking lengths to be extremely accurate in the interpretation of the Old Testament law. Now, when, when Paul says, I lived according to the law as a Pharisee, the law, he's talking about the Old Testament, the laws, the rules that God gave the nation of Israel. Um, that's whenever the Bible, the New Testament talks about the law, it's just talking about the rules in the Old Testament that God gave. And um, Flavius Josephus was saying, these Pharisees, they were known for how hard they put their nose to the grindstone in studying these scriptures and getting as painstakingly accurate as poss possible. And not only were they known for their study of it, they were known for how emphatic and passionate they were about being righteous. And being righteous just means following the law rightly, being morally right. They were, they were extremely devoted to studying the law and following the law. And that was not an easy thing to do. And it came with religious and political clout as well because he was a Pharisee. And he says, in my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. Paul would say, I was not just uh, about reading the law. I was not just about trying to live by it. I was so passionate about it. I wanted to stomp out anything that would be blasphemous, anything that would be a threat to God and what he taught in the Old Testament. And so he persecuted the church. In a, in a different book of the Bible called Acts, which um, documents the acts of the apostles, of Jesus' disciples that he sent out, um, Paul says this. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way. Now, Christians never referred to themselves as Christians. They referred to themselves as followers of the way. They were called Christians by other non-Christian people in Antioch. Um, just a way for them to distinguish between uh, Jews and Christians. They'd call them Christianos. And actually, this might have been kind of a, a derogatory or rude, critical type of name to call them. But it stuck, and here we are with that name today. But So he's essentially saying, I persecuted the, the Christians to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Paul was so passionate about the law, and he did not like what Jesus uh, had taught these people about, about the law, and he was doing everything he could to stop them. He was passionate. He had fervor. He had zeal for what he understood about the Old Testament law. So, uh, he goes on to say, according to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. Now, is Paul saying that he's perfect and he never sinned and he never broke the law at all? No, there's a difference between being perfect and being blameless. So, when he would break the law, he would do what the law says to find forgiveness for his sin, to be absolved of his guilt. He would go through that process, and so he was no longer to blame for his sins. Now, so this is Paul's resume. This is Paul's highlight reel. This is what was important to people at his time. He had, and, and by the way, he had an incredible education under a rabbi named Gamaliel, who was uh, one of the most famous 
um, rabbis, if not the most famous rabbi of his time. So he had the bloodline, the pedigree. He had the uh, spiritual and religious clout. Um, people looked to him as a person who had power. He had power. He had influence. He had the education. He was not just walking the walk. He was talking the talk. He had all these achievements. Um, he, had, he had made it. He had had all the success that he was hoping for. Now, how did Paul view all these things from this point of his life where he's writing to the Philippians? He says this, But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities, as liabilities because of Christ. These assets I've become, I've come to see them as liabilities. I've come to see them as dangerous. They're, they're worse than worthless. These things are dangerous. I've come to see them that they're not only just worse than worthless, that they're dangerous. All these things that I thought were so important, all these things that I thought uh, meant success, all these things that I had worked so hard to achieve, I've come to see them as worse than worthless. I've come to see them as uh, dangerous. Why? Why is that? Because when you are successful and when you achieve all these really wonderful things, there is a greater temptation to think higher of yourself than you ought, to think of yourself as higher than other people, and to be tempted to think because of what you've been able to achieve on your own, here's the dangerous part, here's the liability, you don't need God. I can take care of it on my own. I got this. I'm all right. Look at what I've achieved. I don't need God anymore. And that is dangerous because your belief about whether or not you need God has no bearing on whether or not you need God. Your belief on whether or not you need air has no bearing on whether or not you need air. You need air even if you believe you don't. And you need God even if you think that because of your success, because of your achievements, you are doing really well on your own. Paul learned that lesson the hard way. And he continues, Now I regard, more than that, now I regard all things as liabilities of Christ, uh, because of Christ. More than that, I now uh, regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Listen, everything that you can seek and pursue and gain and achieve every amount of fame, every last dollar you can make, the value of that cannot hold a candle to the value of Jesus Christ. It does not even come close. And because that's the case, because it can distract you from seeking God, because it can distract you from being successful at pursuing Jesus, it can be a liability. To the extent that some sort of achievement or success can distract you from pursuing Jesus, it can be dangerous because none of it has, has any value compared to Christ, as Paul is going to make abundantly clear in a moment, in a moment here. And he goes on to say, <clears throat> 
I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. These are not empty words from Paul. This is not him just blowing smoke. Here's why we can take what Paul is saying seriously right now. Because he's writing this while he is imprisoned for teaching people about Jesus. Paul saw that came to see that it was so important that people see success as seeking Jesus rather than seeking anything else, see the most important success as seeking Jesus over everything else, that he was willing to lose everything and be imprisoned. This is a guy who went from thinking Jesus and all these followers needed to be persecuted to death or imprisoned for what they were doing. And something powerful changed in his life so that he saw that Jesus was the most valuable, important thing that anyone can ever seek. And it's worth losing everything else for. He's worth losing everything else for. There is nothing this world can offer you that is valuable as Jesus Christ. And he says, Indeed, I regard all those things that I've lost. I regard them as dung that I may gain Christ. Now, scholars, most scholars uh, say this word dung is actually a vulgar word. Skybalon is the Greek word. And, and they would say this is a vulgar word that, like, Paul is saying something kind of dirty right here. Um, and he's using it as a way to shock people and say, wake up. <laughs> what we're looking at here, we're, we're, we're looking at stuff, the stuff that we think will satisfy us, the stuff that we have defined as success, the stuff that we think is the most valuable, it is trash when you compare it to Jesus. When you compare anything else, any other pursuit, any other definition of success to Jesus, that ends up being trash. Compared to Jesus, the scholarship, it's trash. The degree, it's trash. The seven-figure... Uh, Salary, it's trash. The car, it's trash. The house, it's trash. The fame, it's trash. The likes, the clicks, the views, all that stuff, all those things that you think are so important, uh, it's trash compared to Jesus. You can't find anything that isn't, isn't like trash when you compare it to how valuable Jesus Christ is. Paul, why, why are you saying this? Why, what makes you think that like Jesus Christ is so valuable that everything else in comparison would be Trash in its, its worth. Well, what, what's making you say this, Paul? Where, where are you getting this from? Well, what he says next helps us to understand that. He says, I regard them as dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law. Paul was trying really hard to be righteous, to be morally right. That's kind of the core of what he was trying to seek with all of his actions. And, and studying the law and following it. Not because, and he said, I, he's, he's saying, I want to be found in him, uh, or I will be found, he's not saying I'll be found in him because of my own righteousness that I derived from the law. That wasn't enough to do it. That didn't get me to Christ. But because I have the righteousness that comes by the way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. Paul tried to follow the rules in order to be righteous. 
in order to be morally right, in order to be pure. He tried really, really, really hard. But then something happened in his life. He stood, Jesus appeared to him, and he stood in the presence of Jesus, and it was something that was enough to make him go from killing and, and imprisoning Christians to being a Christian who would be imprisoned and killed. He stood in the presence of Jesus, and what he saw in the presence of Jesus was that his own righteousness, his own attempts to follow the law, his own attempts to be good, fell woefully short compared to how righteous Jesus is, to, to compared to how right he is, to compare to how good and pure he is. He realized my attempts, I thought I was a good person. When I stood next to Jesus, all my delusions about that went away. I, I, I understood what goodness really is. I understood what righteousness really is. And when you stand in the unhindered presence of Jesus Christ, what you realize, what, what happens is your sin becomes painfully, agonizingly apparent. But what's amazing about Jesus and being in his presence is that not only do you see how much more righteous he is than you, you also see this incredible love for you that you've done nothing to earn, that you've done nothing to deserve, that none of your works could make happen for you. It is just there for you. His love for you is beyond what you can possibly imagine. It is greater than any pleasurable moment that anything on this earth can give for you. And because Jesus is both loving and just, he's a just God, it's not really loving to not be just, to not give justice. It wouldn't be great if we just gave Hitler a pat on the back and said, you know, that was bad what you did, but, you know, go away and be good now. You know, that's, that's not loving to the people who have been hurt. But God is both loving and just. And so what justice does is it punishes wrongdoing. It punishes sin. And God knows to be just, he has to punish uh, wrongdoings. There's a price that has to be paid for our sins. But because Jesus loves you, he's not just just. He doesn't want you to take the punishment for it. He takes it for himself. He took it for himself. That was the point of the cross. That's why he died, for, uh, died on the cross. He died for our sins to take the punishment for us so you don't have to. Because, and when you stand in the presence of Jesus, you will realize why that was necessary when you see how righteous and loving he is compared to where you are at in your life. But his love for you is beyond what you can possibly grasp and so he took the punishment for you he took the punishment for me and here's here's why he, he's so valuable because there is nothing you can pursue in this life there's no trophy you can get there's no award you can get there's no achievement you can unlock there is no amount of likes you can get there is no fame there is no money that can forgive you for your sins and what's amazing about this what paul says check out what paul says in a different letter that he writes to jesus followers in corinth he said god made him jesus who had no sin to be sin for us to take the punishment for us and here's what's hard for me to wrap my mind around so that in him because of what jesus did we might become the righteousness of god meaning all that righteousness that you see in jesus when you stand next to him and you can't fathom how righteous that person could be and you are at your wits end because you see how unrighteous you are jesus takes it because of the cross he's able to take his righteousness and put it on you and make it count for you and you gain the righteousness of God 
There is no money. There is no achievement. There is no success. There is no sport you can win at. There is no uh, amount of money you can earn that can give you the righteousness of God. There is nothing that this world has to offer that can forgive you of your sins. There is nothing this world can offer that can give you an eternity with your maker who loves you so deeply that he died so that you can spend forever with him. There is nothing on this, work, this earth that comes close to that. When you compare it to that, it's trash. It's nothing. It is not success. Paul, one, of, one of Paul's or one of Jesus' most haunting sayings was in the book of Mark. And he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? What, what good is all the recognition if you lose your soul? What good is all this temporary pleasure you can achieve? If you lose your soul, what good is a million dollars? What good is a car? What good is a house? What good is all that stuff? If you lose your soul, and it's a warning from Jesus, don't succeed at the wrong thing. You have one life to live. Don't, don't spend it succeeding at the wrong things. Paul was very successful, but he succeeded at the wrong things. And he turned, Jesus turned him around before it was too late. Don't succeed at things that are temporary when you can succeed at things that have eternal value. Succeed at asking Jesus for forgiveness. Succeed at following God. And listen, there are good things that God has given to us on this planet to enjoy. I'm not saying that... Uh, the other things in this life that are not Jesus are evil things, are bad things. No, God has given us many beautiful, wonderful gifts to enjoy. But when we pursue them and seek them and try and find success through them at the cost of finding success at following Jesus, if we're distracted from Jesus, we have succeeded at the wrong thing. We have made a terrible, terrible mistake. If they distract you from Jesus, run like you've never run before. Now, Johnny Cash, he came to realize this sort of thing that I'm talking about today, about success. When he was in that cave, his future wife, June, uh, came and found him, helped him. He got his life back on, on, on track, and uh, he decided to go public with his faith. He, he had you know, grown up with the gospel and loved singing gospel songs, but he had never really, you know, he had, he had pushed all that aside. He had, he had given up success at pursuing Jesus and putting him first in pursuit of success at having a whole bunch of people like his music and buy his music and come and see him sing. And he realized that it ended, he, the, the end of that was him in a cave waiting to die. And so he decided to go public with his faith, and he said, I knew that my record sales would plummet, and they did. And he went on tour with Billy Graham, the evangelist, and shared a story and sang gospel music with him, and he began to become successful at something that was much more important, pursuing God. And um, unfortunately, although 
His sin is forgiven, and we can always ask Jesus to forgive our sins, and our sins are forgiven. Many times, forgiven sin still has consequences. And one of the consequences is, is addiction is that it stays with you. The temptation stays with you, and he had a big relapse in, in 79 and through the 80s, and it was probably, he went, his son said it was probably crazier than the first time he was he had uh, gone through all that, and his, his marriage to June Carter almost ended, and his whole family was begging him to go to rehab, and his music was suffering, and finally he did go to rehab. He said rehab was so hard sometimes he was afraid he was going to live, uh, but he went out and uh, he made it out and, and, and got better, and, but still his music was suffering. He was, he was disappointed because... Uh, he was playing all these small venues, and he was used to playing these big venues, and his, his heart was not in the music. And a producer named Rick Rubin found him and helped him to record just acoustic, a few acoustic albums that did really well. And there were a lot of them were just cover songs um, that he did. And one of the last songs he recorded was a song called Hurt, which was written by Trent Reznor, who was uh, the lead singer of Nine Inch Nails, which was a 90s industrial rock um, band. But there's... Something extremely powerful about Johnny singing it. In fact, so powerful that Trent said it really became Johnny's own song. Um, because in this music video that I wish I could show you, but I can't because we're live streaming. In fact, it was watching this video that inspired this message for me. I saw that and I was like, that'll preach. And so um, this message followed from that. Um, but in the video, you see this man who's at his frailest, who's had everything, who's had all the success, who's had everything everyone dreamed of achieving. And he's at the point that we all will most likely end up someday a few months away from dying, weak, frail. And he's, he's that's, we can't avoid that. There's no amount of success that can keep us from avoiding the fact that this life is temporary. And I wish I could play you the video, but I'll read you a few of the lyrics, which I think are extremely powerful. It says, What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you can have it all. You can have it all. My empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. Band's going to come back up now. Um, Johnny became what many of us seek to become, and it was not a good thing. It was the type of person that would say, what have I become? What have I become? What? This is the type of person that I became by achieving all this? And there was no amount of success and fame that could stop all the people he cares about and loves from dying. It is all temporary here on earth. And he says, you can have it all. All this that I've achieved, take it. It's an empire of dirt. It's empty. It's temporary. It's just dirt. And all the celebrities that we look to and wish could, you know, think if we could meet them, that would somehow make us feel better. If they liked us, we'd feel better. If I could be a celebrity, other people like me. It would make us feel better somehow. One of the greatest celebrities of all time said, I will let you down and I will make you hurt. We are all humans. We are all imperfect. We pale in comparison to the goodness and love of Jesus Christ. Jesus 
though we may hurt, he will not let you down. He will never let you down. And anything that we build apart from him, any success we accomplish that's apart from him, is just an empire of dirt. Think about the greatest accomplishments of civilizations throughout the years. Some of the greatest civilizations are just empires of dirt now. Thousands of years from now, the place that we are in, America, will be an empire of dirt. It is just temporary. It is going to be blown away in the wind. It is going to crumble. But Jesus Christ is, has a, an empire that is not of dirt. It is the only empire that is not an empire of dirt. It is the kingdom of heaven, and it will last forever. And you can be a part of building it. He's inviting you, come, build this kingdom with me. It will last forever. It will not be temporary. It will not be worthless. It will not be, when, when you want, if you want to really succeed, succeed at helping Jesus build his kingdom. You want to know how? I say this a lot. Read your Bible. He tells us how. And that's why we're here on Sunday mornings. That's why we, t we speak about here. That's why Jim and, and the others who speak here are doing this. We want to help build the kingdom of God. Because there is nothing that comes close in value. There's no pleasure in this world that can come close to the joy that Jesus Christ can bring you for eternity. And he wants you to help other people learn about it and bring them into the kingdom. That's one of the ways you build the kingdom. Share God's love with them through your actions, through your words. Bring people to church. Show them that Jesus really cares and loves them. Just like he has shown many of you already how much he cares and loves you you and one of the reasons we can be a part of this kingdom that lasts forever the one kingdom that is not an empire of dirt the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god it's not because of the good works we did it's because jesus loves you so much he brought it down so you can access it and he brought it down by dying for your sin he brought it down for dying for my sin and by the way i don't want to say that, you know, if you're an attractive person, if you have money, if you have success and achievements, um, that that's somehow a bad thing. But to the extent that you pursue it over pursuing God, you're not succeeding. You can use all those wonderful things that you've achieved and that God has given to you and blessed you with and given you the ability to achieve and let you be born in a, in a place where you can make those sort of things happen and gain those things you can use them to build a kingdom that will last forever a kingdom of joy a kingdom of peace a kingdom free of depression and anxiety and guilt and shame you can use the good things god's provided you to build that kingdom and we have access to that kingdom because god brought it down jesus brought it down he made it available to us by dying for us to forgive us for our sins and jesus wants you and he wants me to remember that that's why he taught his disciples on the night before he died to always to receive communion together and that's something we're going to do in a few moments it's just a way it's a symbol it's our way of remembering that jesus has died for us because he loves you he loves you he loves you more than you can understand and we're going to sing a song here and as we sing, I just want you to reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ, is his name is so beautiful not and powerful, not just because of the sound of his name, but because of what he has done for us. So.
The band's going to lead us, and we will reflect on the wonderful gift of Jesus.